Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Allahumma alimna ma yanfa'una wa anfa'ana bima alamtana. Amin. Um, before we start the last session, minute 24, there was a mistake there pertaining to the salawat in Mina. I said that you join and you do not shorten, but the reality is that you shorten and you do not join. So that was a mistake in the last session for anybody who's here, anybody who's watching at minute 24 in the last video, inshallah. The Imam says, Babu ma yuf'alu ba'd al-hil. That which you do once you have removed yourself from the restrictions of the haram. He says, The person returns to the place of Mina and he doesn't sleep except for in Mina. He doesn't have to sleep there. It means that he spends the night there or most of the night. He doesn't have to in fact sleep if the person wants to stay up, pray, read Quran, make dhikr, etc. And then that's well and good. So most of the night has to be spent there. And according to the Imam Abu Hanifa and his madhab, this is something which is sunnah. But the rest of the ulama, the majority, they say this is something which is an obligation, wajib. The Imam, he says, So on the days of Mina, which are the 11th, the 12th, and if you stay on the 13th, uh, then you have to throw the, throw the stones at the jamarat on each of those days. Every pillar you will stone with how many stones? Seven. Every pillar with seven stones. You start with which pillar? The smallest one, right? So you face the qibla if you are able to do so, and you throw seven stones at that pillar, like you did. Uh, before, previously, the day before, on the big pillar. And then the person, once he's stoned the pillar, he goes away from the pillar, and he stands and he makes dua to Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he comes to the middle one, and he throws the stones, in the same manner that he threw the stones to the small one. And then he throws the stones, the seven, at Jamrat al-Aqaba, the largest pillar. But in this situation, he doesn't stand to make dua. And in the second day, he does likewise. Like he did on the first day, on the 11th, he does on the 12th also. So when is the time for stoning? When does it start? After Zawal, which is the Dhuhr time, right? After the Zawal time until the sunset time is the time for stoning. And some of the ulama, like Abu Hanifa and Imam Shafi, they said if there's some difficulty, it's too crowded, maybe you're weak of health, you can do it in the night. Okay, you can do it in the night. And even some of the ulama, they allowed, like the Hanbali scholars, they allowed it to be done. They allowed it to be delayed till the next day if you have to do so. So if you're very sick and you cannot do it on a particular day, you can do it on the next day. So for each pillar, you will stone in sequence and then you will return to the first to stone it for the next day, okay? So if you had to do it in that situation, it's, it's possible for you to delay till the next day. We said that after you stone the first pillar, you move away from it and you make dua. Likewise, you do that at the second pillar. After stoning the second pillar, you move away from it and you make dua. But the third pillar, you don't do so. Why? 
Okay, so in the first one, we said you have to make dua. The second one, you have to make dua. You don't have to, it's recommended, right? The third one, there's no dua. Reason being number one, because the Prophet ﷺ never did it. Second reason, ta'leel, a reasoning, or an istidlal, uh, a way of showing evidence. Uh, Shaykh Abdaziz al-Rajihi, he said, like in the salah, it's recommended more so to make the dua in the salah, okay? At the tashahadul, when you finish the tashahud, before you make the taslim, that is the time when you should make the dua, not outside of the salah, okay? Because it's never been reported that the Prophet ﷺ, he would sit after the salah, raise his hands and make dua. Rather, it's reported that the Prophet ﷺ will make the dua at the end of his tashahud. After he said the tashahud and everything, then the Prophet ﷺ would make as much dua as he wanted to make. So likewise here, the act of worship has finished. So like in the salah, when the salah is finished, you don't make the dua afterwards. Likewise, here the act of worship of stoning has finished, therefore you don't make dua. This is just something which I found interesting and I thought I would share it with you. And if you notice the advertisement, it was on the advertisement for this class to try to get people thinking about the class. Tayyib. Imam Ibn Abi Shayba, rahimahullah ta'ala, he narrates that Kana Ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah yaqumu bayna al-jamratayn bimikhdar ma yuqra'u surat al-Baqarah. That Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, as uh, reported by Imam Ibn Abi Shayba, that after throwing the stones, when it was time to make dua between throwing the stones at the pillars, he would stand for the length of what it would take a person to recite Surah Al-Baqarah. So this is how much of a valued place it is to make dua for the person who is able to do so. The Sahaba understood it, the best of them, in that manner. That this is a place where inshallah by Allah's permission your dua is going to be answered. So if you have the time, the strength, the ability, after throwing the stones, you remove yourself and you stand as much as you are able to do so and you make dua. The Imam says, The person, after stoning on the 11th and the 12th, if he wishes to leave Mina on the 12th, He's allowed to do so and there's nothing upon him, right? Because Allah just says in the Quran, فَمَن تَعَجَّلَ فَيَّوْمَيْنِ فَلَا إِثْمَ عَلَيْهِ وَمَن تَأَخَّرَ فَلَا إِثْمَ عَلَيْهِ لِمَنْ اتَّقَى Whoever wishes to leave early, meaning after the two days, he's allowed to do so. And whoever wishes to delay, meaning staying till the 13th, he's allowed to do so for those who have piety of Allah Azawajal. So the person is allowed to leave after the 12th, okay? As long as he leaves before Maghrib, okay? But if Maghrib sets and he's still there in Mina, then he has to stay until the 13th and do stoning also. But what does this mean in reality? If the person packs up his belongings before Maghrib and he makes the intention to leave, however, it's taking him a long time to leave Mina due to the traffic and congestion, then this person is still valid for him to leave. Why? Because he took the means and he made the intention to leave before Maghrib, but he was prevented from doing so. Okay? So the key is that you have the intention and you pack up your belongings to leave before Maghrib on the 12th, and then you are allowed to do so. But if you stay till after Maghrib on the 12th, then you have to stay to the 13th, and stone also on the 13th day. If the person is doing the Hajj which is mutamatta' or the Hajj which is qarin, then the person has finished all of his rights, and his Hajj is now complete. He is done and dusted, as they say. Walillah alhamd. وَإِنْ كَانَ مُفْرِدًا خَرَجَ إِلَى تَنْعِيمِ فَأَحْرَمَ بِالْعُمْرَةِ مِنْهُ And if he is doing Hajj al-Ifrad, which is only doing the Hajj with nothing else with it, 
then the Imam and those who agree with him, they say he goes to Tan'im to put on his ihram again, to get into the state of ihram, to make an umrah, to make an umrah. The reality of this, as explained by Sheikh Abdaziz Rajihi and others, is that this is for the person who has never done the umrah, which is wajib in his life. He's never done the obligatory umrah before, okay? And it's also that he fears or she fears they may never return to Mecca. So if they're in this situation that they've never done the umrah before, the obligatory umrah, or they fear that they may not be able to return to do the obligatory umrah, because umrah is obligatory once in your life, right? You have to do hajj and umrah once in your life, according to the opinion of the imam and those who agree with him. So this is what he's referring to here. If the person, the hajj ifrad, there was no umrah in his hajj, right? Only the mutamatta and the qarin, they had umrah in their hajj. So this person, the imam is saying, the hajj mufrid, he should go and he should now make umrah. But the ulama, they explain that this is only for the one who never did umrah before in his life, an obligatory umrah. Nor is, it for, nor is he intending or does he feel that he will be able to come back ever in life and do umrah, okay? For this person, he's to go out and he's to do what the imam is saying. If this person, when it comes to the time for shaving his head, he doesn't have uh, hair on his head, then it's still recommended, according to the Imam, to move the razor blade over his head, even though he doesn't have any hair on his head. And some of the ulama, they say this is not something which is of benefit, because you know, if there's no hair there, then how can you say it's beneficial to move the razor blade over the person's head. It's like saying to somebody who doesn't have a hand, you know, wash your hands in wudu. There's nothing there, so why do it? But Allah knows best. And the person who's doing Hajj al-Qiran, his actions are not more than the one who is doing Hajj al-Ifrad. But both of them, the Qarin and the Mutamatta, they have to give a sacrifice as we mentioned before, as a thanks to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah says, فَمَن تَمَتَّعَ بِالْعُمْرَةِ إِلَى الْحَجِّ فَمَا اسْتَيْسَرَ مِنَ الْحَدِّ فَمَن لَمْ يَجِدْ فَمَن لَمْ يَجِدْ فَصِيَامُ ثلاثة أَيَّامٍ فِي الْحَجِّ وَسَبْعَةٍ إِذَا رَجَعْتُمْ طيب. So the differences between these people, the Qarin, the Mutamatta' and the Mufrid is more so to do with the intention and the fact that the Qarin and the Mutamatta' has to give a sacrifice, a hadi, okay? وَإِذَا أَرَادَ الْقُفُولِ لَمْ يَقْرُجْ حَتَّى يُوَدِّعَ الْبَيْتِ بِالطَّوَافِ بالطواف عند فراغه من جميع عموره حتى يكون آخر أهده بالبيت. So the person when he wants to leave Mecca and go back to his country, not leave Mecca and go somewhere else in in Saudi. It's referring to leaving Mecca and going back to his country and never being able to return to Mecca in that particular journey in that particular year. This is what the Imam is referring to. If the person is like this, then he should make a farewell tawaf. Okay. فَنِشْتَغَلَ بَعْدَهُ بِتِجَارَةٍ أَعَادَهُ Okay, he should make tawaf al-wida' tawaf al-wida' And if the person makes this tawaf al-wida' which is the farewell tawaf and then he gets involved in some kind of transaction or trade or anything which keeps him behind then this person has to repeat again the farewell tawaf because the objective is that the last thing that you do in Mecca is that you have the farewell tawaf. As the Prophet ﷺ in Bukhari and Muslim narrated by Ibn Abbas, Umir al-Nas an yakuna akhir ahadihim bil bayt al-tawaf. Okay? Illa anahu khufifa anil haid. 
that the people were commanded that the last thing that they do in the haram is that they make the tawaf al-wida. Except that the one who was menstruating the woman, it was removed from her as an obligation to do so. Okay, so this tawaf al-wida is a wajib. And we said that the person, if he's done it, yet he stays behind and he ends up doing some other things which keep him busy, transactions, etc., buying, selling, anything of that nature, then he has to repeat the tawaf. An exception from this is if somebody is waiting for his fellow travel companions, for example. Okay, they're taking a long time to meet him at the meeting point, or the person needs to purchase some food on the way. So on their way, leaving Mecca, they purchase some food, etc. This type of thing is allowed for the person to do. So the Imam, he said, If the person does some type of trade after this tawaf al-wida, then he has to repeat the tawaf. It's recommended highly for the person when he's making this farewell tawaf that he attaches himself to the Kaaba, okay? Between the black stone and the door of the Kaaba, okay? He makes iltizam, which is that he presses his head, his chest, and his arms against the Kaaba, okay? And he makes dua to Allah Azawajal. This is a place where it's highly recommended for the person to make dua. فَلْيَلْتَزِمُ الْبَيْتُ وَيَقُولُ And then he says this dua, long dua that the Imam, he mentions in his book. However, this dua is not authenticated in the Sunnah, though some of the companions, radiyallahu anhum, and the ulama, they said that it's highly recommended to say this dua. In any case, Sheikh Abdullah ibn Jibreen, one of the explainers of the book, he said it's okay for you to say the dua, it's not a problem, because when you want to make dua, you can make any dua that you want. And the dua that Imam mentions in the book is a very virtuous dua in its meanings. However, you should not say it thinking that it's the sunnah, but you can make the dua if you wish to do so. But don't have the atiqad, the belief or understanding that it's the sunnah. And after making this dua, you can make any dua that you want, the Imam says, and you make salah upon the Prophet Why would you make salah upon the Prophet after making dua? Sent very good, to help and to hope that it will be accepted. Because making dua upon the Prophet salah, Allahumma sallam, Muhammad wa ali Muhammad, any type of dua that you know, upon Muhammad is one of the keys to having your dua accepted. Right? The Prophet ﷺ once saw a man, heard a man making dua, and he didn't praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he told him, Ajalt, uh, you have been hasty in your dua. Rather, praise Allah azawajal, and then send salah upon me, and then ask Allah for that which you wish. And the ulama, based upon this hadith and others, they would say that you should make salah upon the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ in the beginning of your dua and at the end of your dua, because you've wrapped your dua by that which Allah azawajal loves. Right? Allah loves that you send salah upon the Prophet وسلم, so you did it in the beginning, you did it in the end and hopefully that which is in between will now be accepted by Allah because you beautified it with sending salah upon the Prophet The Imam says If the person leaves Mecca without doing this tawaf uh, al-wida' this farewell tawaf then he has to return to Mecca if he is close by what do you think the Imam means by close by? He means the, the distance of Qasr, which is 80 kilometers. As long as you haven't passed by 80 kilometers, then it's a must for you to return. Okay? If you're within that distance, you have to return. If not, what does the Imam say? But if the person went beyond that distance, then he has to send a sacrifice 
to the poor people of Mecca, okay? Because he left a wajib, okay? And he was unable to fix the wajib by, by returning and doing it. But the menstruating woman and the one who's postnatal bleeding, these two, there's no tawaf al wada for them as an obligation. And it's recommended for them, according to the Imam, that they stand at the outskirts of the Masjid al Haram and they make dua to Allah to the, at the doors of the Masjid. Now the Imam is going to clarify for us what are the pillars of the Hajj and the Umrah. What's the importance of knowing a pillar, a rukun? Why do we need to know what a rukun is? Okay, the rukan, if you leave it, you can't make it up. Your, your hajj is finished, right? There's nothing you can do to make it up. The wajibat, the obligatory actions, which are wajibat, if you leave them unintentionally, you can make it up but with a sacrifice, with them. If you leave it intentionally, you have to make tawbah to Allah and you can still make it up with the dumb, with the sacrifice. That's the difference between the two, right? The rukun, if it's left, your hajj is uh, gone, null and void. The wajib, if it's left, you can make it up. Babu arkan al-hajj wal-umrah. Arkan al-hajj, the imam says the rukun, the pillars of the hajj, is al-wakuf bi-arafah, is to stand at arafah. And what he means by al-wakuf bi-arafah is that any amount of time, any amount of time is wakuf bil arafa, right? You stand there for any amount of time, whether it's short or long. What tawafu ziyara, and you also have to make the tawaf a ziyara, okay? This is also a rukun of the hajj. With regards to standing at arafa, the Imam he said it's a rukun. This is because the Prophet said, Al Hajju Arafa. In Abi Dawood, in the hadith collected by Imam Abu Dawood, the Prophet said, Hajj is arafa. Meaning that this is the greatest part of the Hajj. So if you don't manage to stand there, even momentarily, then your Hajj is null and void. And with regards to the Tawaf al-Ziyara, or, or it's also called al-Ifada, or Tawaf al-Hajj, it has these three names, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, And make Tawaf around the house, okay? What are the wajibat of Hajj? Now the Imam, after mentioning the two rukun, the two pillars according to him, he's going to now mention to you what are the obligatory actions. The first of them is al-ihram min al-miqat, to have the ihram from the miqat. What's a miqat? The boundaries by which if you reach them, you have to have the ihram before reaching, before passing that point. What's the ihram? The intention. The intention to be in the state of ihram. Okay, so once you've entered the intention of the state of Ihram, now you have to avoid the mahdhurat, the nine things that we mentioned before, okay, that the person has to avoid. So this is the first of the wajibat, the obligatory actions. The second of them is al-waquf bil-arafa ila layl, to stand at Arafah until after sunset, okay, to stand at Arafah from the time of Zawal until after sunset. This is the obligatory thing which must be done pertaining to standing at Arafah. If the person leaves Arafah before Maghrib, then this person has to make a sacrifice as a compensation. Why? Because he's left an obligatory action. Whereas if the person leaves before Maghrib, after having stood during the daylight hours, but he leaves before Maghrib, but then he returns again in the night, upon this person there's no, uh, there's no uh, dam, there's no sacrifice. 
Okay? According to Sheikh Al-Baz, Rahimallah, and others. Tayyib. The Imam, he says, وَالْمُبِيتُ وَالْمَبِيتُ بِمُزْدَلِفَةِ إِلَى نِصْفِ اللَّيْلِ And you have to stay as an obligation when you are in Muzdalifa, half of the night, until half of the night, okay? Some of the ulama, they say, rather two-thirds of the night. Okay, that means around 2 a.m. in the morning. Why? Because for you to get to Muzdalifa at times, you will be delayed and it's quite difficult for you to reach this. So they say, based on other reports, it's until two-thirds of the night has passed. In any case, this is another obligation that you have to stay there until half of the night has passed. And the sunnah is to stay there until the morning. Okay, until you have prayed Fajr. And also an obligation, the Imam says, was sa'i, is to make the sa'i between Saf al-Marwa, wal-mubit bi mina, and to stay in mina. How long do we stay in mina? Overnight for the 11th and the 12th, and if you do not leave before the 12th, Maghrib, then you have to stay the 13th also, right? Wal-rami, wal-ramyu, which is stoning the pillars, that's an obligatory action also on each day. Wal-halq, and to have your head shaved in the hajj, or trimmed, is also an obligation. Wal-tawaf al-wada', and to have the tawaf al-wada', the last tawaf that we mentioned, these are all obligations. The Imam, he mentions, وَأَرْكَانُ وَأَرْكَانُ الْعُمْرَةِ The pillars of Umrah. So now he, he mentioned the pillars of Hajj and the wajibat of Hajj. Now he's going to mention the pillars of the Umrah and the wajibat of the Umrah. وَأَرْكَانُ الْعُمْرَةِ الطَّوَافِ One is the tawaf. You have to make the tawaf in the Umrah, okay? The wajibat, that which is obligatory in the Ummah, Umrah, al-Ihram, to be in the state of Ihram, to make the sa'i and halq, and to cut your hair or to shave your hair. But if you are making hajj to matta, uh, a tamatta, what should you do with your hair after you've done your Umrah? Huh? Trim it, right? Because the better thing is to leave it so you can shave it when you actually do the Umrah of the hajj, when you do the, after doing the tawaf and the sa'i of the hajj. The Imam he says, Somebody who leaves a pillar, then his hajj cannot be valid except with that pillar. And whoever leaves a wajib, an obligatory action, then he can correct that mistake, the leaving of the wajib, by sacrificing an animal. Okay? And whoever leaves the sunnah, then there's nothing upon him. So we said that the one previously we mentioned in one of the lessons, uh, Ibn Abbas, radiallahu anhu, he gave the fatwa as collected by Imam Malik in his muwatta, man nasiya shay'an min nusikihi aw tarakahu fal yuhriq damman. Whoever forgets something from his rights of hajj, or he leaves one of them, meaning the obligation actions, obligatory actions, then he should make a sacrifice, okay? So this, what the Imam is saying, is based upon the fatwa of the great a companion Ibn Abbas and it said that this is the consensus of the companions because nothing else was reported against what this great companion radiallahu anhuma said the imam he said that whoever leaves the sunnah then there's nothing upon him is this correct of course it's correct from the imam's understanding the imam is correct he's saying there's nothing upon him in terms of legality but what happens if somebody leaves the sunnah he loses a lot of reward, right? He loses a lot of reward. So if you're able to do the sunnah actions in the hajj, like uncovering wherever you, uncovering the right shoulder, uh, walking fast when you have to in the sa'i or the tawaf, any sunnah action that you can do in the hajj and the umrah, you should do so. Why? Number one, 
because you get reward, ajr for it, right? Number two, you are from those people who are trying to establish the sunnah. Keep the sunnah alive of the Prophet because everybody, if everybody leaves it, the sunnah will die. The third reason is because if you leave the sunnah in your madhab that you are following, maybe it's just sunnah, but in another madhab, it may be wajib, obligatory, and that opinion may be correct. So the ulama, they say it's better for you not to take things so easy. The reason the ulama, they differentiate between what is a pillar, what is an obligation, what is a sunnah, is so that you will know what's upon you in terms of what you really have to do. And if you make a mistake in an act of worship, how do you correct that mistake? That's the only reason they differentiate. Otherwise, with the ulama and the sahaba and the righteous salaf, they never used to differentiate. Whatever the Prophet would tell them to do, they didn't think, is this sunnah, is this wajib, is this what? No. The Prophet said it, I'm going to do it. The differentiation is for us to understand fiqh. That's why they differentiated it, okay? But in terms of attitude, we should have the attitude that we do everything that the Prophet ﷺ told us if we are able to do so. The Imam, he says, وَمَنْ لَمْ يَقِفْ حَتَّى طَلَعَ الْفَجْرُ يَوْمُ فَقَدْ فَاتَهُ الْحَجُ And whoever doesn't stand even momentarily on the ninth of Dhul uh, Hijjah, okay, then this person has lost his hajj. فَيَتَحَلَّلْ بِالطَّوَافِ وَسَعِي So this person has to free himself from his ihram by doing tawaf and sa'i. وَيَنْحَرُوا حَدْيًا إِنْ كَانَ مَعْهُ And then he has to ensure that his sacrificial animal is also sacrificed. وَعَلَيْهِ الْقَضَاءِ And he has to make up this hajj whenever he's able to do so, as soon as he's able to do so. Okay? So the person wasn't able to complete his hajj because he missed out by the standing of Arafah. So this person has to free himself from ihram by doing the things which I mentioned, which is that he has to make the tawaf, he has to make the sa'i, and he has to have his sacrifice completed for him. And then he has to make it up as soon as he is able to do so in the following year. Now this, majority of the ulama, they say even if this was a nafal hajj, even if it was a non-obligatory hajj, وَأَتِبُّ الْحَجْ وَالْعُمْرَةَ لِلَّهِ Allah says, and complete the hajj and the umrah for Allah, as a command Allah says. So based upon this, they say this is the case. But Ibn Abbas, he had a fatwa that it doesn't have to be made up if it was a non-obligatory one. And one of the reasonings behind this is because they say, if you are obligating upon him the, the hajj to be made up, that means he has two obligatory hajjs in his lifetime. And nobody amongst the ulama on the face of the earth will say that somebody, a Muslim, has to have two obligatory hajjs upon him. Unless he made it obligatory upon himself by doing a vow, that's something different, right? In any case, our Imam, he says that the person, if he didn't complete his hajj due to missing out on Arafah, he has to make it up, okay, as soon as he's able to do so. وَقَالَ الْمُعَلِّفِ The Imam, he says, وَإِنْ أَخْطَأَ النَّاسَ الْعَدَدَ وَوَقَفُوا فِي غَيْرِ يَوْمِ أَجْزَأَهُمْ ذَلِكَ If the people make a mistake as a whole, as a mistake with regards to when is the ninth of Dhul Hijjah, so they stand on the wrong day at Arafah. Okay, they stand after or they stand before the ninth, the seventh, the fifth, whatever day that be, due to a mistake, then their hajj is still going to be valid. But, there's a but here, can you assume what the but may, might be? So if somebody, instead of standing on the ninth, the whole ummah gets it wrong because of the information they receive, so they end up standing on the eighth. So the Imam is saying their hajj is correct, but there's a but here, there's a caveat. What is the but, can you think? If you did it on the ninth, eighth by mistake, you stood on the eighth, Yawm Arafah instead of the ninth, 
right? You made Yom Arafah the 8th of Dhul Hijjah, and then you came to realize after Maghrib, you were told that actually we got the information wrong. So now you still have the ability to catch it on the 9th, right? Which is the correct day. Because you've realized now it was wrong. So this situation, then everybody will have to repeat the Waquf Yom Arafah on the 9th. But if they ended up getting it wrong, and they stood on the 10th, there's no way they can repeat it. So their Hajj is still valid, okay? According to the majority of the ulama, because there's nothing they can do about it. And to ask everybody that you have to repeat your Hajj is something which is not from the ease of the Sharia. Okay, to us, the millions and millions of people would be something which is too difficult. However, the Imam he says also, But if a group of people from amongst the Ummah do it, make a mistake on the day of what is the day of Arafah, then for this group, the Hajj is invalid. It's not going to be accepted. So the first situation I said that the whole of the Ummah, they make the mistake. Their Hajj will still be accepted, right? But if a group from amongst the Ummah make the Hajj on the wrong day, make Arafah on the wrong day, their Hajj is not going to be accepted. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ said in the Hadith in Tinbudi, uh, And the day of Eid is the day when you all celebrate the Eid by, by sacrificing. So the Prophet ﷺ made it a communal thing, that it's an Ummah-wide thing. So if the Ummah do it as a mistake, or they do it right, then it's well and accepted. But if a group from amongst the Ummah break away and they do it wrong, then it's not going to be accepted. The Imam he says, وَيُسْتَحَبُّ لِمَنْ حَجَّ زِيَارَةُ قَبْرِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَّى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمْ وَقَبْرَيْ صَاحِبَيْهِ It's recommended for the one who did the Hajj or the Umrah that he should then go and visit the grave of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم and the graves of his companions Abu Bakr and Umar رضي الله عنهما Now the Imam, uh, Shaykh Abd Aziz Rajihi and many other scholars, they said What's better to say is that it's recommended to go and visit the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ. Why? Because when you visit the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, you are still going to visit his grave anyway. And it saves you from the prohibition of the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said in Bukhari and Muslim, لا تشد الرحال إلا إلى ثلاثة مساجد المسجد الحرام the Prophet ﷺ said in Hadith in Bukhari Muslim, do not undertake a journey. You need, do not set out on a journey to a place with the intention of worshipping there, except for three masajid. Okay, the Masjid al-Haram, my Masjid, Masjid al-Nabi, and Masjid al-Aqsa. So the ulama, they say, based on this hadith and others, that for you to intend to visit the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, you are going against this prohibition in the hadith whereas if you intend to visit the masjid of the prophet the first thing you're going to do anyway is to visit the grave of the prophet and the graves of his companions so nobody's saying to you don't do it they're saying it's very virtuous it's something which is highly recommended to do by the way it's not from the actions of the hajj if you notice it's not even a rukun or is it obligatory of the hajj or umrah but it's something which is separate and it's highly recommended if you didn't do it there's nothing upon you so what I'm saying, and what the uh, Shaykh Abdul Aziz Rajihi and others are saying is that go ahead and visit the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, but don't make it your sole intention. The intention should be to visit the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, and as part of that, you will visit the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, and then the companions Abu Bakr wa Umar radiallahu anhumah. We'll stop here, inshallah, as we've come to the end of the book of Hajj. Anything which was correct was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Any shortcomings and mistakes were from myself and shaitan. I hope that it's been of some little benefit. 
And those of you who are going to Hajj, inshallah, it may benefit you in some shape or form. We have one more chapter to cover uh, before we finish this book. Of course, the book goes on and it deals with Mu'amalat and other chapters. Okay, but we just focused on the chapters pertaining to the worship. Abwab uh, al-Ibadat, the chapters of Ibadat. Okay, so we have one more next week and then we have finished the book by the permission of Allah. In the future, after the break, we'll think of doing the next level up, the next book up, which is Zad al-Mustaqnah, if people are interested in doing that.